Hi, my name is Eric Wooten. I am one of the editors here at Good Authority, and we are super excited to welcome Barbara Walter to have a good chat with us about the Gaza war, the war um, with Hamas and Israel in the Gaza. Um, Barbara is the War Professor of International Affairs at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at the University of California, San Diego. She's published numerous books and articles on civil wars, violent extremism, and domestic terrorism. She's a member of the National Academy of Sciences and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And most recently, she published a New York Times bestseller, How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them. If you don't want to read it, you can also watch her TED Talk, which has been watched for, I think, for over a million, uh, over a million times, I believe. Um, so welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Eric. It's really nice to be here. So Barbara, I wanted to start, so you've written recently a book on how civil wars start, but earlier in your career, you wrote a lot about how internal wars end. And one of the most notable findings that you had was that most of the time they don't end with a negotiated settlement, but That's someone wins unless a major third party steps in. Um, how do you see that in the context of the of the Gaza war? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Everybody likes to think of their war as unique and um, not comparable to anything else. And in fact, there are lots of people who might argue that this war isn't a civil war, but it has many, many of the characteristics. And I think that's the right analytic way of thinking about it. This is a war between a non-state actor, Hamas, against uh, a government. Gaza isn't an independent state. It is some strange pseudo state. Um, but this acts more like a civil war than anything else. Um, and you're right. So most civil wars don't end in negotiated settlement. They're particularly difficult to end that way. And this war, I think, will be even more difficult than most civil wars to end in a negotiated settlement. So um, I, I think this war is going to end decisively. Um, we could talk about whether that's good or bad. Um, I, I think uh, compromise settlements, negotiated settlements will be pursued, but I suspect all of them will ultimately fail. And when you're saying that a negotiated settlement will be pursued, who are the parties that would be pursuing such a settlement? Would it be Israel and Hamas or with Qatar or other parties? So the two main parties are the, the two parties that are engaged in the war. That'll be the, the Israeli government under Netanyahu. It's his coalition government. Um, he's going to be paying a lot of attention to the other parties that keep him in, part, in power. And those are um, the most far right, the most extreme parties that have ever formed a coalition government in, in Israel. So that's going to, you know, it's basically an Israeli government that's that's held captive in large part by Israel's own extremists. On the Hamas side, Hamas is a terrorist organization. It is the extremist part of, of the Palestinian population. So you have the, the two main parties fighting this war are ideologically on the extremes of their populations. And again, where does compromise happen? Compromise ha tends to happen in the middle. Um, and so the the types of parties, the types of, of leaders who are in power and who are leading um, the Israelis on the Israeli side and the Palestinians in Gaza, you know, are, are you know, not uh, parties that are, are keen to negotiate. So do you take any hope from the fact that they were able to negotiate these temporary humanitarian ceasefires? 
So ceasefires are quite different from negotiated settlements. Um, ceasefires, all that means is you just stop fighting. You stop, you, you stop fighting. Nothing else changes. So your grievances don't change. Your demands don't change. Your capabilities don't change. And in fact, ceasefires are sometimes done strategically to basically allow one or both sides to to rest and and resupply so that when a ceasefire ends they actually come out even stronger than before. I'm not saying that's the case with the ceasefires in in between Israel and and Hamas right now. Um but they all they do is temporarily stop the fighting. There is nothing being done to resolve the underlying issues that caused this war in the first place. Right. So if we're not very hopeful that Israel and Hamas on their own accord will reach a negotiated settlement, um, perhaps we have to look at the parties that hold influence over both yeah. these parties. And, and maybe we can start with Hamas. So who actually has influence over what Hamas decides to do? Huh. I, I mean, the Iranians have have a, a lot of influence over over Hamas. Um Palestinians probably have have influence over Hamas. The the biggest losers in this war are are innocent Palestinian civilians living in in Gaza. They they are being killed in in an attempt by Israel to essentially destroy Hamas and its its leaderships. They are the collateral damage. Um, th they were leading a miserable life before the war and, and their lives have gotten significantly worse. And it's not clear what's going to happen even after this war, war is over. 80% of the Palestinian population has been displaced from their homes. They are now homeless. Um, this is, this is a, a tragic situation and, and they those individuals are going to be, thinking about who put them in the situation, who led them here, um, who's going to get them out of the situation. And, and my sense is um, Hamas is not going to be particularly popular amongst your regular Palestinian citizen. Their lives have gotten worse under Hamas. So they're going to be, they're going to play a role as well, in addition to, to, you know, one of the big international players, which is um, Iran. Right. And so Iran mostly has influence over Hamas because of the financing, I guess. Mm -hmm. and supplies. Yes. And the Palestinians more because the, that's the Palestinian cause that they're fighting for. Is yeah. there any Palestinian leadership that would be capable of <laughs> um, finding a way out, uh, if I should put it? Oh, geez. I mean, Eric, this is, um, you, you know, we have, there's always been competition between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, the Palestinian Authority. Um, which is, uh, you know, strong in the West Bank and has always been a, seen as a competitor to Hamas. They're they're more moderate than Hamas. Um, they also tend historically to have been less organized than Hamas and and perhaps more corrupt and 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 they've suffered for that. Um, I I don't know. I I mean, I really think that the discussion that everybody should be having when they're talking about a negotiated settlement to the war that's going on now is is not a compromise over Gaza but the compromise should be what had been on the table until recently which is a two-state solution I you know I'm now going to go sort of bigger picture the two main players really here are the Palestinian people 
and and Israeli Israeli Jews. They they both are are occupying. You know, they both want the same piece of land, and they both reside in the same area. And and that is reality. Those are the facts on the ground. Palestinians live there. Israelis live there. There's nowhere else for Palestinians to go. And there's there's not, you know, and Israelis rightfully want a Jewish state um, because historically they have been targeted for for genocide. So so that's the reality on the ground. You have two people who who live on the same territory and they both want to remain there and they have rights both have rights to those territories so so this two state solution that if you went to Israel even 5 years ago 10 years ago for sure and you you talk to every constituency there if you talk to the right to the left to Palestinians to to moderate Palestinians moderate Israelis you know, more left-leaning and right-leaning Palestinians and Israelis, they they disagreed about the details of a two-state solution, but they all said, that's the solution. That's the compromise. So we knew what the compromise was going to look like. And then over the last five years, suddenly you started to hear the narrative that that, that the two-state solution is not possible. That's That's just never going to happen. And I think that, okay, if that's never going to happen, what's the alternative? There's no good alternative and, and doing nothing and basically just saying, you know, we're just going to accept the status quo is not a neutral position either. I mean, that brought us to where we are today, which is, which is war. So, so solving, let's say in an ideal world, you can come up with the perfect compromise to solve this particular war between Hamas and Gaza and the Netanyahu government, you have done nothing to solve the bigger problem that will continuously drive additional conflict. And that is, what do you do with the Palestinians who live in the West Bank and in Gaza and who 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 have no uh, who have less rights and in some cases no rights um, and are not citizens? So it's obviously going to be really hard to reverse what has happened over the last 10 years that have made this two-state solution seem even more out of reach than, than it was uh, before. But um, but what kind of things do you think would need to happen, regardless of whether they're politically supported, sort of what kind of things would, be, uh, would need to happen for um, that solution to become a realistic possibility again? Yeah. Well, I actually think you might be seeing one of those conditions happening right now in real time. The, the first thing that would need to happen is we Netanyahu needs to, to leave. You need a new government in Israel that isn't captured by the far right. You, you know, there's been a lot of play in the news about, you know, Hamas's stated objectives, which are essentially the total eradication of Israel. Boom. That's an extreme position. But if you look at what the main part, the, the the far right parties who are in the coalition government have said, Israel has inalienable rights to all the land of Israel. Israel, you know, Israel can have all sorts of different types of government from far, you know, from those far right to, to moderate to, to far left. It is saddled right now with the most extreme, the most radically far right government that's ever existed in Israel's history, ever, ever. 
And and that's making the lives of a majority of Israelis more difficult. Um, it's leading to more instability. It's led to a, to an outright war. So, uh, you know, one of the conditions is you need a government that's more moderate um, and that actually is pursuing policies that a majority of Israelis agree with, as opposed to pursuing policies that a minority of of ultra nationalists are pushing for, but are not supported in effect by most Israelis. Um, so that that absolutely would be one of the preconditions. And and the attack by Hamas may have may have the effect of of finally convincing Israelis that Netanyahu has to go. Um, you know, he's a threat to democracy that they already know, um, but but that he also cannot guarantee them their security, which is the reason they were supporting him in the first place. Right. And it seems like Netanyahu has lost a lot of uh, public support, uh, although it's less clear, of course, who will who will replace him yeah. and how much better yes. the government will be. Um, what is the role uh, of of the United States in all this um, process? I mean, the U.S. also has some influence over Israel, although that can also be exaggerated, of course. Is there a constructive way that the U.S. can engage with Israel to nudge it towards um, a two-state solution? Um Jeez, Eric, this is out of my wheelhouse, but um you know, Israel is a recipient of an enormous amount of of US aid. So economically the United States plays an important role there. Um um you know, militarily we're we're Israel's biggest ally, most important ally. Um and um, that that's probably becoming even more important, even though Netanyahu might not want to admit that. Um, the war with Hamas and and the the number of of Palestinians who are being killed and are going to continue to be killed will um, rattle Israel's stature in the region. It was trying, you know, it was trying to create stronger bonds with countries like Saudi Arabia to sort of shore up its its um, longevity in in the region. Um, and this is this is not going to help Israel's stature um, with with Arab countries um, in the in the Middle East, and and that's going to make U.S. support even even more important. So yes, um, the United States does have influence or in the very, very early days of the war when the United States sent carriers off the coast of, of Israel. I suspect that had nothing to do with, with a show of force uh, against the Palestinians. I, I suspect that that had everything to do with uh, a show of force directed at Netanyahu to back up what Biden was likely saying behind the scenes, which was, you know, you better you better limit uh, collateral damage, civilian ki killings as much as you possibly can. Do not go into Gaza thinking that this is going to be a scorched earth campaign because the United States um, is not going to tolerate that. So so and and, you know, Israel, I think 
to its credit, you know, it has a really difficult military challenge in, in Gaza. Um, this is a very heavily populated, very small space. Hamas is has mastered the art of of hiding amongst the civilian population and making it very, very difficult for uh, Israel to target Hamas's leadership without killing lots of innocent civilians. In fact, that's a strategy of Hamas, and that's a strategy that many terrorist organizations pursue. It's called a strategy of provocation, where you attack an enemy, and oftentimes it's an enemy that you know is militarily much, much more powerful than you are. You attack them and you essentially goad them into a really, really harsh retaliatory campaign. You provoke them into coming after you. And, and then you you try to ensure, actually, that there are a lot of civilian deaths and that's that those civilian deaths are publicly known. And then you advertise advertise that to the world as a way to bring more support to your organization and as, and as a way to, to radicalize your own po- population towards towards your more extreme objectives. So um, so this is what Hamas is doing is is you know very clear-cut terrorist strategy, a strategy of provocation. Israel has gone in to try to eliminate the leadership of Hamas. And and given their military capabilities, they have been restrained and they've been do, been doing that in, in part, I think, because the United States has put has 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 had probably very frank conversations with with Netanyahu that anything, you know, that a brutal um, exterminatory campaign is is simply not acceptable. Right. And the U.S. is also worried about the spread potentially right to other other yes. areas in the region. Um, so you mentioned that this is a very deliberate strategy from Hamas. Do you think they've been successful or have they been successful to a certain degree in uh, in, in gathering support? Or do you think they might be somewhat disappointed by the amount and the extent of support they've been getting from um, uh, Lebanon, from um, other Arab states, for example? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, you know, who knows what's going on in the head of Hamas leadership, but I, I, I suspect that it has been somewhat successful and that they perceive it that way. I don't think their audience is actually other Arab states. Lebanon, you know, the, these are really weak, weak states. Um, I think they have two audiences in mind. One is the international community, um, the European Union and the United States. Um, and the other, I think, is is our Israeli citizens. Um, I think they're they're playing, you know, two strategic games, and um, they were in an increasingly untenable position in Gaza. Um, Israel was strangling them, them economically. Um, their position was going to worsen over time. Um, you know, eventually. Um, Gaza would or or Hamas control over Gaza would disappear simply because they just couldn't survive anymore um, practi- from a practical standpoint. And so in some ways, this attack was um, was an act of desperation and it, it, almost in some ways like a suicide mission, but not not fully a suicide. It was an act of desperation. 
Um, and the act of desperation was, okay, time is not on our side. Our uh, Palestinians and, and Hamas's position in Gaza was was declining over time. And, and as long as the status quo continued and nothing changed, um, they were losing that battle. Israel, you know, time was on Israel's side. And so what Hamas did with the attack was suddenly put this situation on the international map. No one could ignore it. Everybody was paying attention. Everybody was was seeing the pictures of the Israelis who were attacked, uh, of, of the Palestinians who were subsequently killed. And, and, and people suddenly were talking about this problem again. And what, what are we going to do? How are we going to solve this problem? And suddenly you're, you know, people are talking about the two state solution again. And, and that is a win, I think for Palestinians. I don't know if that's a win for Hamas, but it's a win. It's a win for Palestinians because um, prior to that, you know, what, what their position, their position and their their likelihood of getting any sort of deal with Israel was declining. And, and you think it's been increasing since uh, since the Hamas attack, or at least it's on the agenda again. So where it was a non-possibility before, it's at least uh, a remote. Well, and I think I think it's it's a possibility because the attacks have have increased the possibility that Netanyahu will be defeated. And anything that gets Netanyahu out of power is going to be a boon to moderate Palestinians and moderate Israelis and is, is going to be a step towards ultimately coming up with a solution to um, the Palestinian-Israeli issue. Right. And, and what do you think will happen in the in the more shorter term? So you're saying it's likely to end in victory, presumably by the IDF, given the military yeah. balance. Um, is that likely going to be a an occupation by Israel again, or some kind of return to the more recent status quo, perhaps with increased security measures, perhaps with different sort of leadership? Is there any possibility for the UN or for Arab states to step in yeah. and some kind of neutral task force? Uh, how do you see that sort of more immediate immediate future for for Gaza? So I, I don't think it's going to end in a, in a negotiated settlement because Israel is so much stronger than than the pal than than Hamas. So militarily, it 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 knows it can it can win this war. It it knows it has to be restrained, and that makes victory more difficult. But it's so much stronger militarily that the deal Israel would have to get would would have to be so good to compensate. It, it for giving up this victory um, and that deal the Palestinians would probably never the Hamas would never agree to so that's that's why I don't think a, a settlement is possible even if you had a settlement as you mentioned earlier my research showed quite clearly that the negotiated settlements to civil wars that work and that don't fail are usually guaranteed by some third party that could be the UN that could be the United States, um, actually, the the Vatican has stepped in, in in some cases. So you could be really creative about who that could be. In in past disputes with the Palestinians, if you read, uh, you know, go into the archives, you'll you'll find that um, the Israelis and and Arafat talked about. Well, what if we had the CIA come in and be our, you know, sort of be our enforcers, our our monitors. Um, 
I, I just don't think we're going to get to that point because there's going to be no no settlement that 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 ne- ultimately needs to be enforced. I think Netanyahu's goal right now is to eliminate the leadership of Hamas, to basically decapitate it, and and weaken it to the point where it's 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 no longer threatening. You know, the problem with that, and, and he knows this, is is that if you don't resolve the underlying issues, you can decapitate an organization and it will just it will it will continue to, to grow back because the grievances are there and the motivation to, to organize, you know, against Israel will will remain. So he's going to try to to really weaken Hamas so that at least in the near term, you know, the threats to Israel will decline. Um, An occupation, boy, you know, uh, anybody who's studying military history knows that that a foreign occupation uh, or a a foreign state occupying a territory um, is usually not met with with friendly (laughs) with friendly citizens. People don't like foreigners to, to occupy their territory and the Palestinians, I suspect, are not going to be any any different. In fact, they're probably going to be harder to occupy after the war because probably everybody will have lost friends and family um, and they will be angry. It will also be hard to occupy because it's such a dense, densely populated area. You know, Israel is is going to be thinking really carefully about is is this something it wants to take on? So I suspect it, it will be something where they they essentially neutralize Hamas, the Hamas threat and then figure out some way for Palestinians to administer and 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 rule um, Gaza, but but hopefully a, a more moderate uh, group of individuals. So um, that again, you know, that's my crystal right. ball. I have no idea what what either side is going to do. And I, and I think, you know, both sides in some respects, you know, they're kind of dark horses because Netanyahu is, is really beholden to some, some very, very radical individuals and his, his stay in power and his stay out of jail are, are going to be dependent on that. And, and that's what he, you know, that's his number one objective is to, you know, maintain his coalition and stay out of jail um, and, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen on the Palestinian side, uh, you know, who's going to step in after, after Hamas is, you know, is essentially, um, uh, neutralized at least temporarily. Right. And yeah, so I, th- I think what's really interesting, and I hadn't thought about this so much, is what you're really pointing us to the importance of, uh, how this war is going to affect Israeli domestic politics. Yes. Yes. And that could trigger uh, different dynamics, right? Because if the Israelis uh, fundamentally reject Netanyahu and Netanyahu's policies, then that might also send a signal to the Palestinians <laughs> that perhaps uh, some some change is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Barbara, it was fascinating to talk to you. I I learned a, a great deal as as usual. I, uh, I I look forward to chatting again sometime. Hopefully. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. more and for links to what you heard in this conversation go to our website goodauthority.org